Welcome to Distressed Situations, a Reed Smith podcast. On this podcast, we cover current issues in financial restructuring over a wide variety of industries. I'm Keith Arzeda, a partner in Reed Smith's Global Restructuring and Insolvency Group, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Whether your company is a financial institution or in industry, we hope our commentary will be useful in managing the risks associated with distress. If you have any questions about our topics, feel free to contact our speakers. Welcome to the latest episode of Distressed Situations. I feel very lucky to be hosting this podcast. I feel even luckier to have our guest today, Peter Kaufman. The podcast is obviously taking a step in the right direction and closer to the sun with his appearance on the show. He's the president of Gordian Group. I'm going to let him introduce himself here in a minute. But I do want to point out he is an author of two books, Equity Holders Under Siege and Distressed Investment Banking. On his off time, he writes for Sports Illustrated. He went to Yale. He went to the University of Virginia and refers to himself as a broken down lacrosse player from Yale. Peter, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I I don't think I can do better than that. Those are very kind words. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, two weeks a year, I teach uh, at at UVA Law Business School. I teach a course called Advising Boards of Directors Under Siege, and I'm just back from that. So I, I do have a bit of a glow about me, but it's not from the sun. I just... I wasn't able to be down there last year. We had to do it by Zoom for obvious reasons. So it was, uh, it was, it was great to be back at the at the mothership where I went to law school. I am indeed Peter Kaufman. I am the president of Gordian Group. I love what I do. Uh, I would do it for free, except I get paid for it. And what I do is, and what our firm does is unique in the restructuring world of investment bankers and maybe law firms. Uh, we don't have financial creditor clients. We issue financial creditor representations so that we can be the only ones who's a trusted advisor to boards looking out for shareholder value in tough situations uh, because we're the only ones that are conflict-free. We're not looking to get hired next month by your creditors. Uh, We didn't get hired last month by your creditors. And so we are uh, very free to be creative, aggressive if need be, uh, and certainly effective in trying to reallocate value from creditors to shareholders, especially when there's not enough to go around. So that's what we do. If I understand it, your uh, your personal moniker is relentless. But that's one of them. It is. I've also been called the nastiest man in restructuring by uh, some creditors, which uh, I wear as a badge of honor. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, listen, today we're going to talk about investment banking and your, your role and your thoughts on restructuring and investment banking in a distressed situation. One thing we like to start off with, though, recognizing that we all are human, is uh, ask you what you do for fun when you're not uh, doing investment banking. Now, I know you've said you'd investment bank for free, uh, but you get paid for it. But in your regular life, what do you do for fun? Very, very candidly, I love what I do. So this is fun for me. It's a deadly serious topic for our clients, and we take it extremely personally as well as seriously, but it is fun for me. Uh, When I'm not working, I'm a family guy with my uh, two daughters. I like to hit golf balls, and once or twice a month, I'm lucky enough to be published by Sports Illustrated about golf. It usually takes a couple of hours on a a Sunday morning for me to churn these things out, and that is a source of uh, great enjoyment for me to be able to do that. I'm very, very lucky. I don't know why I'm so lucky, but I'm, I am lucky. And I can vouch for your Sports Illustrated articles. I've read a couple of them. Very well done. Uh, I know we had lunch last week and you talked a little bit about some upcoming 
pieces that you're doing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading those. So let's talk about uh, investment banking a little bit. Can you describe in general what you see the function of investment banker being in general and then as it relates to your practice? Well, historically, an investment banker is an intermediary between those who provide capital and those who need capital. That would be the expansive historical definition of an investment banker. What I do for a living, what my firm does for a living, is work with companies, uh, boards that have uh, capital structure challenges and are interested in advantaging shareholders, even when it looks like all is lost for shareholders. And what we do, simply put, is we provide uh, a couple of services to boards of directors. Uh, First and foremost, we try to protect them. We try to protect them through a process, working with counsel, great counsel like you, to do the best to create a record that will maximize the chance that they can enjoy the business judgment rule if anybody ever uh, comes after them. And so we'd like to provide that process. We're quite experienced with doing that. And that's number one. Number 1A is providing a board with options and optionality about how to achieve their goals, which usually are advantage shareholders, can include needing more liquidity, uh, needing more more money, wanting to divest things. There's a whole host of potential goals, but we provide options and optionality in order to achieve those goals. And so we will give the board of directors the pros and cons of each of those options that we come up with, and they will then direct us to go verily and try to implement one or more of those. And from 10,000 feet, that's what we do. To get a little more granular, we've really honed our game over the years because we usually don't need a bankruptcy to affect a really advantageous outcome for boards and shareholders. And we're able to do that because given our lack of conflicts, given that we've been doing this a long time, and we think we're pretty good at what we do, we know we work hard. We do come up with options that creditors will really detest if they force us into a Chapter 11. And that almost always, almost always leads to a negotiated settlement advantageous to boards and shareholders outside of Chapter 11, achieving the board's goals. And we're able to do that usually within just two to four months of, of being engaged. Now, Those are a little bit of generalization. You know, the earlier somebody hires us, the more options and optionality they're going to have. If they wait until they're out of money in 20 minutes, their options are going to be a lot more limited. And I know you live that as well. But that's generally put of what we're about. You talked about two very important things, and I'm really glad you touched on them. First is protecting the board. So if I hear what you're saying in protecting the board, you're really protecting the board from various constituents in the case that might make a claim that the board violated its duties to maximize the value for all stakeholders or violating some of their other duties. Am I hearing you right on that? Bang on. And so you're giving the board good, solid advice on how to, how to maximize recovery. That, that's what you consider to be job one. Well, we give good, solid advice from the financial point of view which has to go hand in hand with the good, solid advice from the legal point of view to be able to create a record 
to do exactly what you just said a lot more articulately than, than I tried to do, which is to protect the board from the slings and arrows of disgruntled constituents after the fact. And, and then we get to your 1B, this is options. So I think there's a perception from some people, not everyone, that the investment banker is solely focused on selling the company. I'd like you to respond to that. Well, I think that there indeed is that perception. And I think a related perception is that investment bankers in this space simply want to process deals, get something done, anything done, bang home a big fee and move on with life. We're not that smart. We actually care about what happens to our deals. And what we care about is protecting our boards and maximizing recovery for shareholders. And we'll do that by whatever tools we have available that, the, that our clients want us to use. It could be a sale. I'll come back to that in a second. It could be a financial restructuring. It could be uh, raising capital in conjunction with altering the, the capital structure. But if it's a sale, one of the things we specialize in is if creditors uh, actually want us to sell, then we're going to not want to sell unless creditors are cutting shareholders in from dollar one of a sale. And we're extremely successful getting something like that done. Why, why do we get that done? Because we have those other options and optionality that are usually but not always bankruptcy centric that the creditors know will utilize if they don't do what we want them to do. And so they will do things that might not look economic uh, on their own bottom. But if you look at the greater context of the downside they're looking at, if we go to plans B, C, and D, it makes a lot of sense. I think we are unique in that because most investment bankers in our space, I think, you, you see others, I just, I just know my firm, but they are happy to do deals and have the value flow down the strict priority waterfall and wherever the, the waterfall ends, them's the breaks. You know, we like to say one of our missions in life is to upend the strict priority waterfall to the benefit of shareholders. And we love doing it. And we've perfected a lot of interesting ways to, to try to get that done. I would, I've also said in the past, we're a little bit like Robin Hood. We rob from the rich and give to the upper middle class. Here, the rich are the creditors. The upper middle class would be the shareholders. And that's why, that's why we do a lot of, for private equity firms, because they actually do care what happens to shareholders. So you walk into a board of directors, the company is in, in distress, whether it's financial distress caused by a balance sheet problem or financial distress in the, in the marketplace, what are the questions that you're asking the board of directors so that you can get enough data to make a decision as to what, what your options are? Uh, the first couple of questions are, how much liquidity do you have and how long is it anticipated to last? The second is, are you in default today or imminently with your creditors? And what are your goals? Those are the first questions. They're the most important questions and everything else will, will flow from that. The default part is, is really important, particularly with sponsors. Lenders often have collateral in the form of the stock of the private equity subsidiary, the company that we're, that we're advising. And so if you're in default, they have the ability to swoop in and take up the stock. 
that's a terribly draconian outcome. It doesn't usually happen, but it's a career ending move. If you're the sponsor, you're the line, line folks on duty here and you ignore the defaults and take some action that the creditors don't like and have them come in and, and take the stock. Low likelihood of it happening, utterly draconian outcome if it does. So we want to see our, these situations stabilized, even if it's just for 30 days. So the company is not in default so that we can then go to the creditors after getting direction from the client and say, here's plan A. Plan A is, and th these are real outcomes, this is the real kind of stuff that we get for our, our, our clients. Plan A is we want two years of covenant relief. We want three years of principal and interest uh, holiday. We want you to uh, waive a chunk of your debt. Uh, we really don't want to give you any stock. Uh, and we'd like you to provide a little extra liquidity. And the reaction is, well, that's an outrage. Why would we possibly think about doing that? And the answer is because uh, plan B is we're going to cram you up. Plan C is we might do a cram down. Plan D is, you know what, we might just wash our hands and sell this thing. And in this particular case, uh, you, you know, you're going to get 25 cents in the dollar. We'll get nothing, but you know, we're prepared to wash our hands if you don't want to be constructive. And so that almost invariably leads to uh, some consensual deal around some form of plan A. We've also, as I think you're aware of, you know, we've invented something called springing debt, spring up, spring down debt, which is a really interesting way to try and pull creditors across the line. But the point is, we want to get that message over to the creditors before that 30-day waiver. I'm making up the time frame, but it's usually, it could be 30, 60 days. We want to get that message over to the creditors in a, in a credible way. There's, as you know well, there's never a silver bullet in our business, but we always aim to have something credible and viable so the creditors have to say, gosh, if they do that, we're, we're hosed, so we, we better chat with them. And so as long as we're going to them during the waiver period, then we can say to them, either give us additional time on a waiver so that we can try and get something done with you. And if you don't, we're going to advise our client to file for bankruptcy the day before the waiver expires. And so because we don't want to be going to the creditors with difficult options for them when the company's buck naked, meaning there's, there's no waiver, there's a default. So what you're talking about there, Peter, is the, the typical senior lender or mes lender takes the pledge of the equity on default. They can take control of the equity and, and act as the board of directors, right? Yeah. And so, sometimes it's secured bonds, but it, it's anybody who's got a lien on that stock. And Keith, the casual observer might be shocked to know that a lot of really smart sponsors don't even understand that they've given collateral. And oftentimes, there's no notice period. Sometimes you get three business days. That's enough for our purposes. I was just going to say that that the typical provision uh, that I see in this space is a three day notice that when there's a when there's a default, whether it's a mispayment, miscovenant, reporting period, whatever, that the the period of time that the sponsor has to evaluate whether or not to file bankruptcy to stop the stock pledge from being exercised is a very short period, and I think three to five days is pretty typical in those types of agreements. We have seen zero days. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about your favorite investment banking story. Ha. Um, we have lots of adventures. You know, as I said, we love what we do because it's intellectually interesting. We're never bored. 
there's a lot of adrenaline all the time. And there's a lot of interesting things that happen. My favorite story. So some years ago, we were advising a public company. And within a 12-month period, we had served five CEOs, five, uh, which says something about our ability to survive in the jungle. And the fifth one summoned us, and it was a February day out in the Midwest and a terrible snowstorm. And one of my partners and I flew through with delays and everything else. We landed, we had to take, we had to drive for a couple hours through horrendous conditions. Got to the fellow's office at five o'clock and at eight o'clock, his assistant came out and said, "Uh, he's a little too busy to see you, you fellas. So uh, why don't you go back home and he'll get in touch with you. And so, you know, he certainly showed us who was boss. And the great thing is within a couple of weeks, he was so pleased with our performance and our advice that when the creditors started attacking us, saying, we don't like what they're doing, they're getting paid too much, we don't like the tactics, uh, he basically said, the only people who gets to criticize my boys at Gordian is me. You don't get to do that. So we, we turned him around pretty quickly, but that was a very interesting, I'll, I'll never forget that day and that trip uh, and everything else. That's great. Well, listen, we're going to try something new. We haven't done this on distressed situations, so we're going to see how this goes. Okay. Are you ready? Always ready. Okay. So I've got a list of, of words here. I'm going to throw them out there and I want you to give me the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Okay. This could be scary. It could be. Here we go. Shareholders. The chosen ones. Bondholders. The non-chosen ones. Board of directors. The stewards. Your favorite golfer? Payne Stewart. Favorite book? Instant Replay. Auction. Tactics. Contracts. Read carefully. <laughs> what they told me in law school was the large print giveth, the small print taketh away. Uh, I've never heard that, but that's a beautiful saying. All right, we've got a couple more. Intellectual property. A potentially interesting asset in a distressed situation. What's your favorite movie? Star Wars. Awesome. All right. That was the lightning round. Thank you for participating. One last thing. What do you see happening in the market going forward? What are your predictions? What are your prognostications moving forward? Well, noting that I think I'm halfway good at my real job, which is solving these complicated problems to the advantages of boards and shareholders. And and I'm not Nostradamus and don't claim to be about looking into the future. I'll tell you what, what we are seeing at this point. We believe that inflation is not temporary, the way some economists are telling us. We think it's too broad, too deep. And we believe that uh, on a go-forward basis, a lot sooner than later, there are going to be a lot of companies that no longer will have access to the free-flowing capital that they've enjoyed for the past couple of years. And we think that the cycle is going to turn and that only very deserving companies are going to have easy access to capital and that there will be both a lot of restructurings of companies that have been kicking the can down the road, not dealing with their debt load. And conversely, a lot of opportunities on the buy side at really, really attractive valuation levels uh, for public companies and sponsors. Uh, Right now, the M&A market is so ebullient that sponsors have to pay way up in the overall scheme of things to acquire assets. We think that they're going to have a lot of opportunities to get very appealing assets at much lower valuation, much lower multiples going forward. And 
we love working on the buy side with sponsors to uh, help them figure out how to buy something as quickly and cheaply as possible. And uh, we love doing that. And we think we're going to have a lot of opportunities to do that, I think, as early as 2022. And of course, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of our standard fare bread and butter, which are uh, companies and boards that have capital structure challenges uh, that they need uh, financial assistance with. Yeah, to tag on to that, Peter, I was having a discussion with a good friend of mine today that is a uh, chief operating officer of a publicly traded company. They're looking for M&A opportunities in the distress space. He said, what do you think, Keith? What's going to happen here? And I said, look, there's some artificial buoyancy that's been provided to a lot of companies, whether it's PPP loans, government programs, practical behavior of lenders where they've looked at the pandemic as something that requires less than aggressive behavior on behalf of secured creditors. Prior to the pandemic, the creditors might have moved a lot faster, but this artificial buoyancy has left us in a situation where it's going to take a while for the extra liquidity and the low interest rates to take effect. And so we're, we're going to continue with these low default rates, low bankruptcy filings for a while longer. And I think it's an end of 2022 issue. Sounds like maybe you're thinking the same thing. And only the crystal ball knows if we're right. I think it's earlier than the end of 2022, right? Because I think that if we're right about inflation, you know, the standard fare RX for addressing inflation is to take some of the steam out and raise interest rates. And I think that that, that could happen a lot sooner than the end of 2022. And if, if I'm correct about that, then we're going to see the air come out of the balloon a lot sooner than the end of 2022. Because let's face it, the stock, I'm not an expert on the stock market, but it feels to me like low interest rates are crack cocaine to the stock market. And the artificially tamped down low interest rates from these past years has created a, a bubble, if you will, not to mention severely harming you know pensioners who've got their nest egg and bonds, which are, are now essentially worthless. But I think that I think that rates are going to have to rise in response to uh, the inflationary pressures that we're seeing today. I just don't know when. It will be interesting to see what happens, Peter. Listen, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been awesome. We didn't even get a chance to scratch the surface regarding your writing career, your teaching at the University of Virginia. And I'm sorry we don't have enough time to go through all that. But thank you very much for being with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Distressed Situations is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's restructuring and insolvency practice, please email distressedsituations at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.